We're going to be in the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. So let's take God's word and stand this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew and chapter number 5. Good to have the Groffs here this morning, where the Groff pastor is in Amarillo, and his daughters are here at school. Sure thankful they could be here as well as other, other guests. Okay, uh, Matthew and chapter number 5. And uh, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16. Let me start in verse 1 and 2, and we won't read all the Beatitudes. I'm, I'm going to uh, refer to them as we get started because of their importance to really the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as we know it, but uh, specifically to our, our verses here this morning. So it says in, uh, in verse uh, 1 that seeing the multitude, so verse 25 of chapter 4 had told us the great multitudes were following Jesus by this point in his early ministry <clears throat> from all the region of Galilee and Decapolis and uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Jordan. And so seeing the multitudes, the Bible says that he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them. And I want to emphasize that, that he taught them. He's not at this point teaching or preaching to the multitudes, though he will. And he'll preach repentance, the need for repentance unto them. But he's teaching his disciples. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he goes through the other uh, characteristics of those that would be his followers. Things we struggle with, right? Just to be honest. Things we struggle with that do not come natural because they are the characteristics of Christ that are to be applied in our life. So after he has explained those, uh, then he says in verse 13 that these are not just for you to have a blessed life. Okay? Uh, this character is not to be in your life just to make your life really great and happy, truly happy and blessed. But that character is to be in your life for a specific reason. Look at verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the salt of the earth, he says. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the underfoot of men. And that's really where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. I'm going to say 85 to 90% of the message is going to be just on that verse. We had a whole year on verses 14 through 16 about being the light of the world. So if you need some more material, then you can go back to last year's theme and try to glean from some of those messages. I'm going to hit it, but not maybe as hard as verse 13. He says this, ye are the light of the world. All right, so you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. No. Right? As we say in the kids' song. No, absolutely not. <clears throat> but rather on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all 
that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. Is that what it says? No, not at all. There's nothing glorious about us. There is everything glorious about him. So they are to glorify your father because that's where ultimately they come from. Your father, which is in heaven. And so in our series, Jesus is king. Uh, this sermon is our influence in an influential society. Our influence in an influential society. I'm not going to spend time on the aspect or the truth that this society is influential, but would you agree with that? That there is a lot of um, influencing for unrighteousness that's going on in our society. Very influential and we are all very impressionable. But our influence is to go the other way, our influence in an influential society. Despite what doctors say, salt is good for all. Amen? Despite what doctors say, salt, amen right there. I knew I'd get an amen right here. I knew that was coming. I know Brother Ted's eating habits or his desired eating habits. He eats a little food with his salt. So anyways, or I did, or I don't know. Anyways, despite what doctors say, salt is good. Jesus said it was. Jesus said salt is good. I'm going to go with what Jesus said. Salt is good for all. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. As we've already noted, the Beatitudes describe the Christ-like or Christian character. The word Christ-like or Christian is to mean Christ-like, but not all, not all professing Christians are Christ-like. And that's a problem. Um, the world outside of Christ, uh, the lost people of the world, ought to be able to look at a believer and say they're a Christian. It ought to be synonymous terms. A believer ought to be a Christian. But we all struggle right there. The Beatitudes are given, and it, and it shows, first of all, our relationship here with God, our vertical most of our problems are vertical problems. We have a hard time here. And so since we aren't right with God vertically, then it's no wonder that we would have a hard time horizontally here with other people. Okay, and so that's how the Beatitudes as we know them are arranged. The first four go up and, and come down and then the next four go horizontally in our relationship with others about us. And so what we have seen is that it takes an outworking of what God does in us to be right with those that are around us. An outworking of what God does in us uh, to be right with those that are around us. At the conclusion of the service today, Brother uh, Perkle is going to read from uh, Philippians and chapter number two and, and how that um, God is the one that works in us and then that we're to be a light into this, this uh, wicked world, essentially, is what we're going to uh, hear him read at the conclusion. So that's exactly what Jesus is getting across here, that you need to let God work in you, that he might work through you. And once he works through you, not only will it make your life truly blessed. I mean, I, I, I could say to you, do you, 
Do you really want to have a blessed life? Well, here, who here wouldn't say, well, yes. Who here would say, no, I actually would rather have a just totally miserable life that I don't enjoy existence at all. Uh, nobody's going to say that. Well, if we really want a truly blessed, I mean, the, the true genuine happiness, not just based on happenings, like things are going great, but that even in, when they're not, that you can still be blessed, you want that kind of life, then you got you to live out what Jesus has said to you in the first 12 verses here, okay? But if it was just entirely about us having a blessed life, that would take Christianity and make it rather self-centered, and that's not how the Christian life is to be lived. But rather this, the Christian life is to be lived out to be a light and salt to others. So the Christian character that we are to have is not just for our own enjoyment, but to have influence. Salt and light both are geared towards influence. So I'm going to use that word today. It's in the title, so I'm going to use it, of course, in the message, that, in, that word influence. I looked up influence in Webster's 1828 uh, dictionary, and it, and it says this, uh, the word influence has this idea, inflow. What's inflowing? To flow into, okay? So influence, but I, I think we understand the word, but just for clarity, the power or capacity to be compelling, a compelling force, a compelling force uh, that produces effects on behavior or opinions. And so an influence. Uh, Brother Raspberry did a fantastic job teaching this morning in the Southwest Bible class about about Nebuchadnezzar and how he constructed this 90-foot-tall statue or image and expected everybody to bow and worship it, uh, not just take a knee, but to, to worship it. And, and that was uh, compulsory of worship. I mean, it was, this, you have no choice. Well, he had a measure of influence as he had his own, um, uh, you know, sometimes we teach, you know, with an illustrated message, you use something to teach. He, he, had, a, he had a display that day. He had something that was a teaching aid that day. It was called a smoking, fiery furnace. So you either bow and worship or you're going to burn. Well, that's influence, not the right kind. Okay. Influence. Jesus used an everyday item in the home, two of them, to teach how that we by God's grace and his working in us, can have an influence on others around us. Whether it's your family or your friends at work or coworkers or people in the neighborhood or just people at the door, people at the ball game, people at the supermarket. How can we have an influence? How can we have an influence on a society that is so pervasive in the, uh, the quick, aggressive nature of, uh, and permeating nature of sin. How can we have an influence on such a wicked society? Because if we're honest today, you might even say this, I think it's too late. I think our, our country, I mean, preacher, I appreciate, you know, the title of the new series on Sunday nights, When a Nation Needs Revival. I mean, that sounds good and everything, but you know, it's pretty much too late. And, and I don't know that we can have an influence on society. 
Listen, Jesus and his disciples lived in a very wicked culture, the culture of Rome and Greece, Hey, of all of the idolatry that was going on, the morality that was going on, the violence that was going on. Hey, it was a wicked society then. It's a wicked society today. It's the world in which we live. The world is not getting any better. It's waxing worse and worse. And so it, is, it behooves us as Christians to be both salt and light so as to have an influence. You say, no, if you're going to have an influence, you, you've got to be like a preacher. You've got to have a pulpit and, and you've got to have a platform. No, here's all you've got to be, just common, ordinary salt. Just a candle burning in the night. See, when the sun went down, they didn't have lights to flip on. They had a candle that they would, that they would burn during the night, not just to fill the house with good-smelling aroma, although I love a, a, a good-smelling candle and what it does. But we, we don't light candles in our home to light our homes, but, but they did. And so you don't light a candle and then put a measuring basket over it. No, you let it give light into all the, all the house. So they would have influence. How do we have influence in society? Well, let's look at it, verse number 13. We are salt of the earth. This, this, these verses make it very clear that we are distinct from the world. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. So on one hand, you have the earth and the world. You have the people of the earth and the people of the world. And on the other hand, you have salt and light. You have Christians, you have believers. Are you following me here? There's a distinction. Well, there ought to be. Not because we are better than they, because we are only sinners saved by the grace of God. But he saved us out that he might put us back in, not to be like them, but to help them to become what he is by regeneration. Not by legislation, though I believe in the importance of having the right laws. But I'm telling you, friend, please understand the human nature that we all battle. Legislation is not going to bring about the righteousness that really matters. That's only possible through regeneration. And that's only possible through the Holy Spirit of God using the Word of God to bring conviction to help save a lost soul, see? It's got to be regeneration. There's a difference. The world is, is the world and the church is the church. And, and, and uh, that's how we make a difference. The power in the world, in our power, our influence in the world lies in our difference from it. One man said, he said, uh, uh, we are to be a moral disinfectant. A moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existent. Be a moral disinfectant. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. I, I, I want to make many things clear here. Um, you are not just to dispense salt or to radiate light. You are salt. That's different. It's not just that we are giving out salt. No, you, you, ye, ye, believers, ye, ye are salt and ye are light. 
We're not just giving light. We're not just giving salt. Watch this. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. How big is our influence supposed to be? Well, how many people are there in the earth? How many people are there in the world? We're supposed to have an influence impact on all of them. How do we do that? Uh, well, it's very clear that we are not meant by Christ who saved us out of the world. We are not meant by him to isolate ourselves from the world. We don't live in isolation. Now, every week we come into church and we're called out assembly. And so we're here and we invite lost people here. We should be encouraging them to come so they might hear the gospel, the life changing gospel. But we're not just to hang out here all week long for several reasons. But one of which is that we weren't designed to do that. We're not designed to live in a commune somewhere. We're, we're not designed to live uh, as, as um, out on farms, never interacting with people in the world. Are you following me? That's a misunderstanding of the, of, of the truth that we're supposed to be different from the world and separate from the world. Yes, we're supposed to be separate from the world, but he did not save us out of the world, never to have contact with the world, except where it brings us monetary gain. How are we doing? Is this making any sense? Yeah. In other words, I'm saying to us, we're not to be Mennonites. We're not to be Amish. We're not to live in communes. Hey, we're salt of the earth. The way that we make different, a difference is having contact with the world. You've got to have contact. And I'm not against Christian schools. I'm not against Bible colleges or anything of that nature. I'm not against youth groups. I'm not against any of those things. They have their place. They ought to be equipping agencies and, and that which would enable us. And of course, church serving the same purpose, but that we might then be what Jesus designed us to be. And that would be to have this, to have an impact, to have an influence on this wicked world by being salt and by being light. Salt. Well, I mean, there are other, other uh, entities designed by God that are supposed to have an, an effect on the world that are supposed to do this. They are supposed to encourage the good and deter the evil. Promote the good and deter the evil. Bring fear to the evil and encourage the good. Government designed by God. I'm talking about government that's doing things the right way. is supposed to promote good and deter evil. It's not supposed to let looters destroy businesses of innocent business people. It's supposed to take those individuals to justice and, 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 and to deal with that. It's, it's not to allow brutality to take place by those that are of the law enforcement, but it's not to say that all law enforcers are brutal. No, 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 wait a minute. Where, where's, where's the understanding of righteousness here? See. Yes, government is in place to do that, to deter the evil and, and to encourage the good. And so is the home. The home is designed that way. Encourage right relationship between husband and wife, between parent and children, so then they grow up knowing what is right and wrong. That's what your home is designed to do, to know what is right and wrong. Certainly, Jesus' churches are to have that type of, of a preservative impact. So he says then that you are the salt of the earth. So I brought uh, some salt. Salt. It may be too close to lunchtime to use this illustration. 
But here we go. Now, there are uh, many functions of salt. Many. Um, we like salt because of its flavor. Isn't that right? We like chips and salsa. Can I get a witness right there? We like chips and, and, and salta. <laughs> and we like chips and salsa and queso. Mercy. Honestly, my weakness. Angie knows. Angie knows that I will not stop until it's gone. Either that I have eaten it all or she removes it from the table. It is my weakness. Queso. I love it. Cheese. Glorious cheese. So chips and salsa, queso and other essential foods. We like because of salt. I looked at Brother Sam's Sunday school lesson and he said this, there is a conspiracy in the medical profession to take the joy out of eating food so they preach low salt or no salt. That's awesome, I love it, I love it. And I've eaten a few meals with Brother Ted and Brother Sam and there's a lot of salt going on right there, no doubt about it, oh yeah. I mean the chips come out and then they get salted on top of, anyways, giving too much information, but. All right, so did Jesus have in mind the enhancement of flavor when he says, you are the salt of the earth? Well, I would imagine that that could be preached, that, that listen, as, as we have it, we ought to be able to, you know, be sprinkled on to whatever it is. And, and if, it's, if it's a Christian at the workplace, it, it ought to make people say, man, I want to be like that individual. They're always on time. They do what's right. They have a good attitude. I mean, they just, they, they make, it ought to be that Christians ought to make people that are not want to be Christians. It ought to enhance and, and encourage people. So it could very well be, but, but let, let, me, let me just get right to it here today to say this. In Jesus' day and time, salt was not as much of a luxury or, or enhancer as it was absolutely, totally necessary to preserve food. It was essential. They did not have deep freezes, thank God. God in heaven for deep freezers, deep freezers and, 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 and that we can preserve food. I, I'm talking about venison and fish and steak. And all you got to do is just take it, you know, from the grocers and from the grocery and just put it in the deep freeze. It's awesome. It's a wonderful thing. Until it's not working, Right. <laughs> But they didn't have that back then. So whenever Peter, James, and John uh, caught fish and Andrew, then they had to salt the fish to preserve the fish. So salt, as many of you understand, and no better, no doubt, than I. Although I remember my grandparents, you know, uh, uh, eating uh, country ham, which has quite a bit of salt to it, and, and uh, you know, sugar-cured ham and other, other ways of preserving. I realize this is not the only way, but like a smokehouse. My grandparents had a smokehouse, you know, and, and uh, about smoking meat, it's only smoking that Baptists ought to do, by the way, is just smoking meat. But anyways, uh, the, the ways of preserving food. Well, in their day and time, the way that they would do that is they would take salt and they would, you know, take it in a container. I mean, it was much larger than what I have here because you got to be generous with the salt. 
I watched a few videos on this and how that, uh, I watched a little Filipino young man, he's probably about 10 years old, giving a video on how to preserve fish with salt. And he, uh, he dressed out the fish and then he had his bowl of, of salt and, and he had, you know, another container where he put, you know, some uh, paper towel down and then he had the fish there and, and he took salt and he said, you got to put a lot of salt on it here and, and then you put salt down here and you put it in there. I mean, I mean, he put on the salt. Why? Preserves it. Well, how does it preserve it? Well, I watched a few other videos that went way over my head scientifically that basically says this, it's de it dehydrates, it is drawing the moisture out, and here's why. The microbes and the fungi, the bacteria that causes food to decay, to decompose. Um, it feeds on moisture. The bacteria feeds on moisture. So when you put salt on it, then it's drawing that moisture away or out of the meat and ultimately away from the bacteria so that then it slows down or stops the decomposition, or the, the, the decaying process, the deterioration process, it stops it because the salt is drawing that moisture away and it's no longer feeding the bacteria that would multiply to decay it. So if you don't believe that, then go home this week and try it. Have meat laid out. Meat that is salted and meat that is not salted. See how it's doing at the end of the week. Then see how it's doing at the end of the month. See how it's doing. I mean, it's, neither one are going to look real good, right? If you just lay it out there. Are you following me here? Man, I should have brought that as a show and tell, but we couldn't have handled all that, right? No, I mean, it, it would be gross. I mean, you just leave meat out. I mean, you got to be careful about that. Hey, listen, when I catch fish, I got to get them quickly in water or quickly on ice. Are you following me? Because I, I want to be able to dress those fish out. Or, or in their time, they would salt it. It's preservative. So Jesus, here's his point. Jesus said, ye are the salt, the preservative of a society. And if you are removed, that society will decay. Because of the bacteria of sin, if you could allow me, of sin that, is, that sets in, I'm telling you, it has that decaying process. And would you agree today that as you look at our beloved nation and as the influence of Christianity is being extracted, or and we're going to get to something else that's a problem, but if, if Christianity is extracted, I'm talking about biblical Christianity, that hang on in the context here, has the, the attributes of Christ. I'm talking about the characteristics of Christ, the poor in spirit, the mourning over sin, and, and the meek and the hungering and thirsting after righteousness and all those beatitudes. If that character is removed with the influence, because hang on, here's where we're going. Your character determines your influence. And if that Christ-like character is removed, then a decaying process sets in and is accelerated all you got to do is just look at what has happened to public schools since prayer and Bible reading has been extracted from the public school sector. How good has it gone for the public schools? Well, Dr. So-and-so, who's Dr. Humanism, would say that it's much better since God's out. 
Well, all you got to do is just look at the violence in school, and you're going to say to Dr. S Dr. Humanism that actually we're not better without God. Dr. Human sexuality would say it'd be better for our society if Christian thought was not injected or rubbed on. Are you following me? Take that, that salt and rub it on. They don't want to have contact with that. They don't want to think that, there's, that there are only two genders and, and that God is the creator thereof and, and that they want to be more free than that. And so let's remove that Christian thought that is archaic and outdated. It's as old as salt. Let's remove that and then what will happen, you'll see, Rome decayed. Greece decayed. Other countries of the world have decayed as God's truth is taken away and godly people are no longer involved even in, in the world of, of, of the political system and legislation and so forth. Hey, that's why some of you do need to be involved or you are involved in educating and helping and you're raising a godly seed. You're being a parent trying to teach them right from wrong. But, but look at what happens when Dr. Psychology and Dr. Dr. Humanism and, and Dr. Evolution says you're no, you're no product of God's creation. You are the product of an evolutionary process that says it is the survival of the fittest. It was that mentality, that German rationalism, that, that evolutionary thought that led Hitler to say it is indeed the survival of the fittest. Are you listening here this morning? Yet we're being fed a lie that, that, that it is an evolutionary thought, but if you take it to its logical end, you will not like the decaying process, because man is not evolving better and better, man is waxing worse and worse. Why, pray tell, why did, the, why did the southern kingdom of Israel last longer than the northern kingdom? You know why? Because the southern kingdom had kings like Josiah and like Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah, men that were salt. And said, no, we're not going to go to idolatry. And no, we're not going to allow the Sodomites to, to have free course in the land. And no, we're not going to allow violence. And no, we're going to, yes, we are going to observe the Passover and these things. I am telling you, they were salt in their generation. And it made that kingdom last longer than the northern kingdom that had no godly king. What's going to happen when the rapture takes place on this old earth? And all the Christian influence is removed. I'm telling you, the seven-year tribulation itself proves that when the salt of the earth is removed, decay sets in in a major way. So easy to prove this. No wonder Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Actually... I'm not saying this in any kind of proud way because all glory's got to go to God because otherwise our morals would be just as decayed and corrupt as the world's morals. It's only because we heard what God said and applied it that he's saving us from ourselves. But I'm saying to you today that the United States of America is better and has a lot to owe that it owes to biblical Christianity. Because Bible doctrine and Christian thought has been a preservative. And that's why we were known at one time as a city on a hill, but now it's flickering or it's dimming. In some ways it's out. You're the salt of the earth. 
You're to have a preserving effect. We preserve what the family unit is. We preserve truth. We preserve morality. We preserve what is good and we detour, we, we, we avoid, we hinder what is bad. Because we're legalists. But because we know that that way of thinking, whether it's an immoral way of thinking or cursing, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, you could fill in the, the I mean, if we were to study today the, the germ of sin, there'd be so many variants of it. It's moldy. And when applied to a nation, when applied to a church, when applied to a school, when applied to a family, or when applied to a, to a life, I mean, a lot of it is in you and some of it's on the outside of you and it'll get in if you don't have salt. But where that salt is applied, it preserves. When that salt is not applied, there's no preservative and there's only decay. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But notice what also, what also he said. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. Okay, what does that mean? Sodium chloride, also known as does not lose its quality. And some have struggled with this passage to say, how can salt lose its saltiness? Because by its very nature, it is salty. So what's going on? Well, in Jesus' time, the salt they would use, perhaps, some say, would be from the Dead Sea. If some of you have been there. The rest of us want to go. <laughs> right? You've been there, you know all the salt that is there. They would use salt from that, salt from other places, but they did not have a refinery. And so what they would have, would they, they would have this, a white compound, a white salt-looking substance. But here was the problem. Not only did it have the sodium chloride in it or that agent there, but it also had an admixture or it was this, it was adulterated. It had other minerals that were mixed in with that salt and so salt would lose its savor if it became moist or, or damp or some other situation happened and the salt was removed or, or, or due to whatever circumstances. And then all you had remaining was just those other minerals, those other elements. Now here's what you have. You have or you have had an agent that was preserving but no longer is it a preserving agent or part of the solution, but because it is contaminated, now it is not part of the solution, but it is part of the problem. So we have pure salt and we have impure salt. Now realize where you are, you can't, you can't see this, you may think it's pepper mixed in with salt, but it's not. Um, it's dirt from our backyard. <laughs> Oklahoma soil right here. A little bit sandy. Uh, I don't know what else. You with me? You're going to lunch today. You have a choice. 
What do you want to sprinkle on? Here you can get pure salt and it's going to help your life. Here you're going to sprinkle on this dirt and you, I mean, is it going to hurt? <laughs> Mom said it would, right? Um, I don't know what's in here. I took a few scoops and went straight into here. Didn't taste test it. Not interested. Jesus said, if salt has lost its savor, it, it, it is in no way, and you know this, it's not saying that it loses its salvation. You can't. But the salt of Jesus day and time, which we don't have to worry about this. So this has a cultural context here and a historical context that we benefit from others that have studied it out. But if salt gets mixed in or other elements gets mixed in, now you have not a preservative, but you have that which would add to the corruption. And yet Christians want to be just like the world. A Christian that uses cuss words? Why would the world want that? It has a corrupting effect on your testimony and the testimony of Jesus Christ. A Christian who listens to music that is laced with immorality and violence and perversion... What you're doing is you're trying to mix the world and the church. How about a church that brings in the world and says, well, let's get a little ACDC in here. That'll liven things up. You say that doesn't happen. It happened here in town. Pastor dresses up like Ozzy Osbourne. You're saying you're out of your mind. That doesn't happen. Come on, it happens. It's happened. It's right here in town. And the, and the Christian world thinks it's super trendy to be more like the world. And Jesus said, stop, stop that. I have nothing to do with that style of, of life other than to save them out of it. Why would I want you to be like that? If the world is saying, oh, we'll make a difference by becoming more like them. No, what you're doing is you're helping, you're helping the decaying process. A Christian that gossips, a Christian that slanders, a Christian that, I mean, come on, we could, we could run the list of bacteria, but I think you get the idea. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're the salt of the earth. And, and as long as you are salty, what we need is just salty Christians who are salty in their way of living and salty. In, and in the context, I must hasten back to our context to say, he's talking about the Beatitudes, these salty Christians who are not filled with pride because that's what the world's filled with. Christians that really mourn over sin, they aren't flipping about sin. Christians that are meek, they're not resistant when they're corrected, but they're willing to be taught. And Christians that hunger and thirst after righteousness, not Christians that hunger and thirst after more and more and more that the world can provide. Christians who are merciful in a world that is filled with hate and prejudice. Christians that are, that are filled with, with, with joy in a world that is filled with gloom and on and on. The Beatitudes, it's the character of Jesus Christ and our influence is determined by our character. 
And what Jesus wants us to do is to follow him, not as nominal Christians, but as his real true disciples that will take on his characteristics and then not stay in our salt shaker or in our salt ecclesiastical seller, but get out of this salt shaker and get out into the world where you are the salt of the earth and have an impact on this world, on this society. And in addition to that, he said, you are the salt, you are the light of the world. And basically that, the idea there is just simply this. If in salt, the condition of having influence is, is being pure, then the condition in being light in this dark world is being visible. He has not called us to secret Christianity or secret, secret discipleship. People at work need to know that you're a Christian. People in the neighborhood need to know that you're a Christian. You need a close relationship with God that translates into godly character, that translates even into boldness, not obnoxiousness. Although I will say this, that salt stings. And salt has a bite to it. But it's also a preservative. And, and so we're to have contact with the world even when they don't want it, they need it. We've got to have contact with the dark world even though they don't want the light. Ray John Stott who said this, Christians oftentimes throw up their hands in disgust and reproach the world because the world is so sinful. Well, what do you expect from meat that's unsalted? Did you hear me? That's what meat unsalted does. It decays. He says the reproach is not on the world that's obviously acting like the world. The reproach is on us because we're not acting like Christ and we're not having contact with the world. Hello, I'm from Southwest Baptist Church. My name is Jason Gaddis. Just love to invite you to church. But even more important than that, I'd sure like to tell you about Jesus who loves you and gave his life for you that would save anybody. And just go into a gospel presentation. You know what that is? That's salt. And when we are out there in the world, then we're, we're having contact with people. When you work with somebody at the job place and you share Christ with them, you are being salt and light in their life. I think, I think largely we are where we are as a nation because Christians have been what they've been. We haven't been soul winning. We've stopped working bus routes, although I'm, I'm not chiding you here this morning because I'm thankful. When I mean, we were back up over 185, we've had new kids coming, we've got stuff rolling. But, but, but listen, hey, listen, we, we've got to stay at it on the bus ministry. Why? Because it's a salt ministry. It's a light ministry. And, and we need Sunday school teachers that'll go right along with that and choir members that'll go right along with that. Hey, I realize not everybody can be in the bus ministry, but some of you should be. Some of you can be. Some of you should be. Why? Because we need contact with lost people. We were pulling out of here yesterday and uh, there's four young people and they may be here today and I'm not, I'm not saying this to embarrass them in any way. Um, over here by the bus lot, outside the bus lot on this side of the fence. And uh, they were skateboarding, two young men, skateboarding, two young ladies. And uh, 
uh, Trevor, as I was pulling over there, driving over to him, he said this, Dad, are you going to run them off? <laughs> and I realized, you know, I mean, sometimes if they're here or there's something going on, we, we have asked them to move on. But otherwise, we actually let them be out there if it's safe. I don't know how you feel about that. But anyways, that's what we've done. I'm not totally thrilled about it, but I'll just, uh, anyways, this is the illustration. Don't take issue with that. <laughs> he said, Dad, are you going to run them off? I mean, they had the marks of, of skateboarders. Come on, we stereotype, right? I said, no, I'm, I'm just going to invite them. So I drove over there, got out of the truck, uh, probably uh, 13 to 17 years old, somewhere right in there, had tracks, said, hey, I'm Jason Gaddis, pastor here, just want to invite you to come be in the service, and, and that track has a QR code in it that'll give a little bit more of a gospel presentation to it, but... But I, I just want to tell you that it tells you here how that Jesus died for your sins. And, and I could tell, man, it was salt on them. It was light. The young ladies were listening fairly well. One young man was listening. One guy just went back to his phone. I'm not faulting him. I, it, it's where he is. But, but what we've got to do is not avoid the skaters of this world, but go to them. Are you comfortable with that? Well, it doesn't matter if we're comfortable with it or not. It's needful. One of my friends growing up in high school, Brett uh, Stevens, or Stevenson, long-haired, headbanger. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to be unkind. I mean, he, he knew it. Came to school most of the time, probably high. But God gave me a heart for Brett. And I wanted to be salt and light. I'm, I'm telling you, it's not, it's, you know this, it's not us. Because I, I actually, even though I wasn't a headbanger, I was involved in a lot of the same things. And so I'm no better than he was. Are you following what I'm saying to you? But what we cannot do as Christians, what we cannot, what we cannot afford to do, or would we be obedient to do, is we avoid the people that we don't feel comfortable with just because of where they are. No, we've got to go directly to them and be salt and light to them. Be salt and light. Don't run them off. Bring them in. Bring them in. Father, we thank you today. We're salt and light. Would you purify us? Any impurities that are here? Remove. Because otherwise we are truly good for nothing. And I'm thankful, God, that you're willing to start over and give us the character of Christ. But I pray you'd help us, Lord. I, I know that sin rots life and deteriorates relationships and a society. And we're seeing the effects of that. But you told us that we are salt. And we're to have this pre preserving effect. <clears throat> and we know what the great need is, is regeneration. So I just pray, God, that you'd help us. God, help us not to be worldly in our attitudes, our appearance, or our actions, or our words, so that we might have the right influence. Help us not to be fake or phony, <clears throat> pharisaical. Help us to be real, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.